Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have our brother Don Pell. This is unique, two weeks back to back. We're happy to have him with us. We'll turn our Bible Instruction Time over to Brother Don this morning. Good morning. I hope you keep your place there in Judges chapter 6. That's the place where our story is centered this morning about this man whose name was Gideon. And I ask you if you ever lay out a fleece, uh, maybe some people actually literally do that, but figuratively some people do it as well. They'll say, Lord, if you do this or if this happens, then I'll know that I ought to do this or I ought to do that. And we also refer to that as laying out the, the fleece. And sometimes that might be a good idea, and then other times maybe it's a bit questionable, laying out fleeces. <clears throat> when I think of uh, Gideon, I think of an organization called Gideon's International. How many of you know about Gideon's International? Okay. When I was growing up in Grand Haven, Michigan, we had a couple of brothers in our assembly who were Gideon's. Interesting enough, one of the things Gideon's used to do is when servicemen were inducted into the military, they would give them a Gideon New Testament. I almost brought mine with me this morning. The sad thing is I didn't get one. I was uh, entered the Air Force in Grand Rapids, and they weren't giving out Gideon Bibles there, I guess. And so later on, many years later at Hiawatha, we had a Gideon come and make a presentation. And I said to him, you know, I never got my Gideon New Testament. So at the end of the service, guess what he did? He reached in his pocket and he handed me a Gideon New Testament. So now I can say that I have received one. I'm sure you know very much about uh, the Gideons. Notice verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. It reminds me of the time when a man, a prophet named Samuel, was told to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. You remember that story? And he started out with the most promising, worked his way down, and when he got through, he says, is this it? And the Lord kept saying, no, and I just want to remember, it was David, the least likely, the one who was in the sheepfold. And it reminds us, Gideon's story, reminds us of what Samuel, God said to Samuel. And this is what God said to Samuel. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance. That's what Samuel was doing. But the Lord looks at the heart. David, the man after God's own heart. Isn't it nice that God is able to see not as man sees? Gideon is a good example of this. See, he was addressed not by according to what he was in himself, but according to what God by his grace was going to make of him and use him for his own service. It's a lesson in divine power made perfect in weakness. Divine power made perfect in weakness. To the Corinthians, Paul reminds them, he hasn't chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Or rather, God has chosen, rather, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring nothing 
the things that are. Why would he do this? That no flesh should glory in his presence. No one can boast to say, look at the great things I did. Gideon, let's look at Gideon two ways. Remember, the way man sees, the way God sees. How does Gideon see himself? Or as perceived by how men probably saw Gideon. If you were to meet Gideon, what would you think of Gideon? Well, first of all, he's considered to be poor. Poor people usually aren't the selective ones, are they, typically? He said, my family is poor in Manasseh. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, according to either translation. His family is, was not likely influential in Manasseh society. He's threshing out wheat in the wine press. That would suggest that they were living probably on meager fare, as were a number of the Israelites during those days. And like David, he was considered the least likely to be chosen among the weak family of Manasseh. He said, I am the least in my father's house. All societies have class distinctions. Some of them are more subtle than others. Gideon and his family were probably not likely part of what we would consider the upper class. Think about Gideon. First of all, if you knew Gideon, you'd probably say he's indecisive. He's timid. He kept asking if. If now I have found favor in your sight. If you will save Israel by my hand. That doesn't sound like somebody who's very positive to me. If there is dew on the fleece only. If, if, if. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. That's Gideon. He's either ignorant or he's naive. He failed to understand why God had allowed captivity. Here's what he says. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's why. But Gideon maybe lost sight of that. He found asking why. Verse 13, why then has all this happened to us? Perhaps he either forgot or he was unaware of what God had said to Moses concerning Israel's disobedience. This very thing was happening. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, here's what's going to happen. A nation whom you have not known, shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. That's what was happening. They'd stolen their food. Gideon is afraid. He feared his father's household and the men of the city. How would a guy like this face an enemy? if he's afraid of his own father's household. So that's Gideon. That's how we might see Gideon. Perhaps men saw Gideon that way, and I suspect that Gideon saw himself that way. Now, God's going to see something different. How would God see Gideon? How would he see his heart? First of all, God might see a person who's faithful. Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here's a man who's providing for his family. By asking why then has all this happened to us, he knew there had to be a reason based on God's 
promise to Israel. He was willing to ask the wise. Remember, Gideon probably reflected back on what God had promised in the book of Leviticus. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. So he didn't have an answer. So he was forced to exercise faith in God to show him the why and the way. God was going to show him the why and the way. And we read that portion in Hebrews. What more shall we say for the time we've failed in the detail of Gideon, Barak, and Samson? He's in pretty good company, isn't he? And Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the and aliens. So we have to uh, see something here that's important. Like Gideon, just like Gideon, all believers overcome by faith. Like Gideon, all believers overcome by faith. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, John writes in his epistle. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Remember the hymn writer wrote, faith is the victory. So what else did God see in Gideon? He's unselfish. It appears that he's concerned about the entire nation. Why then has all this happened to us, not me? Why then has this happened to us? He apparently had genuine concern for his brethren. God saw that. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, doesn't seek its own, Paul tells the Corinthians. And then, not only was he unselfish, but he was humble. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? He's first humbled by outside circumstances. My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. God knew that Gideon would become a humble servant. Then Gideon humbled himself when he submitted to God's unorthodox plan to deliver his people. It had to take some faith to go along with what God had told Gideon to do. That's in the next chapter. There's a lot of stuff to read this morning, and I didn't read the next chapter, but I know many of you know the story of Gideon. What did he have working for him, by the way? Remember that? 300 men. Wow. A lot of Midianites. With what? Trumpets, not swords. Empty pitchers inside what? Torches. That's it. Wow. Not much. You had to have some serious faith to go along with what God tells you to do. Remember how Gideon started with a lot of men, and then he'd get kicked, bringing it down, bringing it down, bringing it down until just 300 men with trumpets, empty pitchers, and torches. James says, you know, that's a good idea. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we're reminded that God's ways are not our ways. The writer of Romans says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of a God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways. Well, they're just simply past finding out. Who would have thought the walls of Jericho could fall down? Who would have thought that Gideon would deliver with just 300 men. 
And another thing I think God probably saw in Gideon, he's God-fearing. He perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. That takes some insight there. He said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He recognized that he was in the presence of Almighty God. And that leads us to this idea of a theophany or a Christophany. And I'm sure you've heard of this. Christology101.com says theophany is a combination of two Greek words, theos, which means God, and aphania, which means a shining forth or appearance. Christophany is by definition an Old Testament appearance of Christ, the second person of the Trinity. This is not the only time this has happened. They are referred to as either theophanies or Christophanies. Gideon now, having received mercy and grace, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Now we find him being a worshiper. He built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Next we notice that Gideon is obedient in fear and trembling. Notice what God tells him to do. Now he feared his father's household. Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. Wow. And cut down the wooden images that is beside it. Messing around with somebody's God would be a serious thing. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock on the proper arrangement. And take the second bull, offer a burnout sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Wow, adding injury to insult. Insult to injury, I guess. So what does Gideon do? He's obedient. He takes ten men from among his servants, and he did as the Lord had said to him, because he feared his father's house, unfortunately, and the men of the city, he chose to do it by night and not by day. Interesting to notice that God first, before he used him for the nation of Israel, he called him to godliness in his father's house first. And Peter in his epistle reminds us that for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what shall be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Obedience brought a number of things. First of all, honor to God. Secondly, dishonor to Baal, the false god. And restoration to Gideon's father and his household. Notice, they gave him a name which served as a test of God's power over idols. Jerubbaal, let Baal plead. Let him plead for himself if he's such a God. Next, we think about Gideon that he's exercised before God. Now, we talk about the fleece. Laying out a fleece before God. Well, should we or should we not? First of all, I believe if we do it either literally or figuratively, most of the time it would be figuratively, it would, should be preceded by prayer and a spiritual exercise before God. If we want to say to God, if this happens, then I'll take this lead. If this happens, I'll take that. need to really be exercised in prayer about it, not just flippantly go and say, you know, if this happens, if God does this, you know, the ungodly will say, you know, if there is a God, let him come down and just kill me right now. 
Well, that's crazy, isn't it? That's a crazy sort of thing. But here he is. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11. We read that. So God did not apparently view Gideon's request as being inappropriate. He says, remember, don't be angry with me. You know, he presses them. First did one time, then the other. But you see, here's what he wanted. He wanted assurance of God's presence and power in circumstances that were very, very tenuous and uncertain. And God honored Gideon because he knew Gideon better than Gideon knew Gideon. Gideon became engaged in God's school of faith. And he's used of God. Men most often found in unlikely places. Think about down through history, down through the scriptures. Where did God find men in unlikely places? He found Moses where? In the desert. An unlikely place to find somebody who was going to deliver Israel. Where did he find David? Is this the only son you have? And Samuel asked Jesse. He found David in the sheepfold. Where did he find Gideon? In the wine press. The one unlikely place. David Livingston. He found him in the cotton mill. D.L. Moody. You know where you found D.L. Moody? In the shoe store. The Lord desires to use vessels sanctified in meat for the master's use. There's an expression, and Scripture bears it out. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. God sees in weakness a finished product to his glory. You mighty man of valor, he says to Gideon. It's like an artist. A work of art begins in the heart and mind of the artist. He perceives beauty in the material. The material in themselves don't are very impressive, but he sees and perceives beauty in it. The sculptor sees the rough stones as finished product. How about this? Two cups butter, two cups sugar, one half teaspoon fresh grated lemon rind, two teaspoons fresh lemon juice, eight large eggs, four cups sifted flour, one half teaspoon baking powder. Wow. Not very impressive, is it? But what happens when you take those, mix them, and put them in the oven? A pound cake. You know whose recipe this is? Phyllis Scott. This is the recipe that Phyllis Scott gave to us when she says, this is the way I make my pound cake. So here are all these ingredients. None of them are very impressive. You look at each one and you say, wow, do I want to take a grated lemon rind? And no, no, not really. You know, <laughs> Take eggs that are raw, eat large raw eggs. Well, yeah, great. Like, no, until you put these together and what happens? And when we go through the oven of God's school, and testing of faith, he produces a product. So what did God see in Gideon? Well, look at the ingredients. You ready? Faithfulness, that's a good one, right? Unselfishness, mix those together. Humility, ah, that's a nice mix. Reverence toward God, mm. Obedience, hey, that's good. Willingness to engage with God and be used of God. 
And God saw all those things, and he mixed those together into this one person and used it for his glory. From those things, those ingredients, God produced a warrior, an overcomer. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Paul writes to the Romans. So let's just notice in closing how God works, or worked rather, in Gideon's life. First, God meets him where he was. That's where he finds us, doesn't it? He met Gideon in the wine press. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. Then God works in him. Go in this might of yours, God says to him. How did we, Gideon, have any might? Ah, God said, have not I sent you? We're reminded that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in the likes of Gideon. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what God likes to do. So having worked in Gideon, and I think it's all if important that he work in us before that he can work through us god works through him the spirit of the lord came upon gideon notice the order of victory remember when they went to the army and they had these pitchers and the 300 men and they broke the pitchers and the torches were lit up and the enemy was disarrayed the sword here's what gideon yelled out The sword of what? Ah, there it is, isn't it? That's the battle cry. That's how it works. The sword of the Lord and of what? Gideon. You know, Gideon went after 40 years to judge Israel. I didn't realize that. Read that in one of the commentaries. 40 years he went from that time and he judged Israel during that time. Why only 300 men? God had the answer. I know why I got it down to 300 men. He says, Lust Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. God went abundantly clear that it was God who brought salvation, not man. Not even Gideon, really, other than the fact that God used him. Then God, having worked in him, having worked through him, He works for him. When the 300 men blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. Isn't that amazing how God works? He works in us. He works through us. He works for us. And often, he will work exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm sure Gideon would never have thought that he would be able to say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So the writer of Philippians puts it this way. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the old expression goes like this. God works it in, and man works it out. That happened to Gideon, didn't it? God works it in, and man works it out.
little course used to say, dare to be a Daniel. Well, maybe dare to be a Gideon. Dare to be a Gideon who accepted God's grace and mercy and became somebody that even years later we talk about. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful for the likes of Gideon. What a lesson we learned from that frail man, that timid man. And yet that faithful man, that obedient man, the one who realized and recognized your presence and was willing to be engaged in your school regarding a walk of faith. And Father, we realize that we are still in your school. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we just pray, Father, that the Lord will use each of us to his own honor and glory as we allow him to work in us and through us and for us to his own glory. That no flesh should glory in his presence. We pray these thoughts may have been a real blessing this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.